Hi, and welcome to Crash Course Catholicism, a podcast about Catholic teaching and why it makes sense. I'm your host, Caitlin West. Welcome to episode 50. Oh my gosh, milestone. We've reached 50 episodes. That's insane. Not only that, we are also almost at the end of the entire catechism. So today we're going to wrap up our kind of general discussion on prayer. And then in the next episode, we're going to talk about the Our Father. And then we're done with the whole catechism. Isn't that insane? So let's get into it. Okay, in our last episode, We talked about the different forms of prayer, petition, adoration, thanksgiving, etc. And today we're going to talk a little bit more about the practicalities of how to pray, different ways of praying, and also how to overcome obstacles to prayer that might crop up in our lives. So different ways of praying. The church defines three key ways of praying to God through vocal prayer, mental prayer, and contemplation. So let's go through each of those, starting with vocal prayer. Point 2700 of the Catechism says, By words, our prayer takes flesh. To his disciples, drawn by their master's silent prayer, Jesus teaches a vocal prayer, the Our Father. So that's a really important point. When the disciples notice our Lord deep in contemplation and they ask him how to pray, he doesn't start by taking them straight to the heights of contemplation, right? He first teaches them a vocal prayer. Now, the reason for that is that we are human beings and we need something tangible as a kind of jumping off point for our prayer. Point 2702 says, The need to involve the senses in interior prayer corresponds to a requirement of our human nature. We are body and spirit, and we experience the need to translate our feelings externally. So words are really important for us. Makes me think of, you know, when you're teaching a small child good manners. And the first thing that you do is you teach them the words thank you. Now, a two-year-old might not be able to really understand what gratitude is, but teaching her those words is a first step towards that understanding. And it's the same with us. In order to reach those heights of contemplation, we begin with our words, either said out loud or in our hearts. So vocal prayers are really important. And these might be established prayers like the Our Father or the Hail Mary, or we can also just talk to God using our own words. And in fact, a mix of both of those things is ideal. So that's vocal prayer. And then we have meditation. Point 2705 says, meditation is above all a quest. The mind seeks to understand the why and how of the Christian life in order to adhere and respond to what the Lord is asking. So in other words, meditation basically means meditating on the mysteries and truths of our faith and allowing those considerations to kind of draw us into contemplation. So we might sit down with the Gospels, for instance, and read a scene and then consider the points that come up in our hearts or place ourselves in that scene in our imaginations. Point 2708 says, meditation engages thought, 
imagination, emotion, and desire. So we're really immersing ourselves in the truths of the faith. Now, we can use a whole variety of kind of supports to help and guide us in meditation. The Catechism gives the examples of sacred scripture, particularly the Gospels, holy icons, liturgical texts, writings of the spiritual fathers, works of spirituality, the great book of creation, and that of history as sources that can help us to meditate. And I love the breadth of suggestions there. The Catechism affirms that we can use not just the Gospels and spiritual writings, which we should use, but also nature and reflections on history and the world as prompts to kind of help us meditate. Also, because it's the 21st century, we can listen to things that will help us meditate. So maybe you can listen to a recorded meditation, something like 10 Minutes with Jesus, or a homily from someone like Bishop Barron or Father Mike Schmitz. So I'll include some links to audio resources in the show notes that might help us to meditate. But the important thing with all of this is to remember that these supporting kind of tools are simply that. They are a support. They're meant to help us to talk to God. They're not a replacement for talking to him. So we don't just sit there and listen to a meditation or stare at a sunset or read a book. We actually use those things to fuel our conversation with God. The conversation is the main thing. So point 2707 says, the important thing is to advance with the Holy Spirit along that one way of prayer, Christ Jesus. So we're there to get to know our Lord and to allow ourselves to be known by him. Now, the goal of both vocal and mental prayer is ultimately to reach what we call contemplative prayer. Point 2709 says that in contemplative prayer, our attention is fixed on the Lord himself. St. Teresa of Avila describes it as a close sharing between friends. It means taking time frequently to be alone with him who we know loves us. It basically means allowing our heart to rest in him. And this is where both vocal and mental prayer should ultimately lead us to simply spending time with God. Makes me think of really close friends, right? You know, with your friends, you might text each other or spend time talking on the phone or having deep conversations. All of those things are fantastic, but really they're just a means to something deeper. They're a means to connecting with that friend deeply. And you know that you've reached a kind of pinnacle of friendship when you can just be with someone else, just spend time spending time with them. And that's our ultimate goal with God. Now, within these different ways of praying, vocal prayer, meditation, contemplation, there can be a lot of diversity. Point 2688 says there are different charisms and ways of praying in different cultures and time periods. So some people might prefer more charismatic forms of prayer. You might like to sing to God, or maybe you have a prayer that your mum taught you when you were a kid and you like to say that. All of that is completely fine, provided that you are in line with church teaching. You're not being like heretical. You're not doing some sort of like weird pagan prayer or something. Point 2689 points out that one of the marks of true prayer is a concern for ecclesial communion. In other words, despite our diversity, we are all unified by the one true faith. So if we find that we have this attitude with other Catholics of, you know, my way of praying is better than yours, and there's a kind of us versus them mentality, that's a sign that maybe our prayer isn't underpinned by charity and unity. 
any form or school of prayer that doesn't contradict the teachings of the faith and is in communion with the church is totally legitimate and can be a path to contemplation. Now, the Catechism goes on to talk about where we should pray. Point 2691 says, The choice of a favorable place is not a matter of indifference for true prayer. In other words, it really matters where we pray. Now, when it comes to liturgical prayer, especially the Mass, the church is the proper place for prayer. Now, that doesn't mean that it is the only possible place. So there have been times in history, for instance, where Catholics have been in hiding or fleeing persecution and they've had to say mass in someone's house or like in the middle of the bush or something. However, where possible, the proper place for the mass is in God's house. And that's a mark of respect and reverence for Christ truly present in the Eucharist. Now, when it comes to our own personal prayer, the Catechism suggests having a prayer corner with the sacred scriptures and icons. So in other words, having a specific spot in your home where you go to pray. And this might be just a quiet spot in your bedroom where you have an image of our Lord, somewhere where there are minimal distractions and you can focus on praying. Again, this isn't always possible. Sometimes we have to pray sitting on the couch with small children running around and it's distracting. But wherever we can, finding a spot that is actually going to help us pray. Okay, so that's where we should pray. And then we can think about when we should pray. You might remember in the last episode, we talked about how our aim is ultimately to be able to pray at all times. However, point 2697 points out that we cannot pray at all times if we do not pray at specific times. So we actually need to set aside specific times every day to pray. We need to have a bit of a plan. And we talked about this in the last episode, having what we call a plan of life, things that we do every day that includes both vocal and mental prayer. So what might we include in a plan of life? Well, for starters, we might include something called a morning offering. And this just means getting out of bed in the morning and saying good morning to God first thing and offering our day to him. And this can take whatever specific form we like. We can think of our own prayer or we can use an established one. So I'll include a link to some examples of morning offerings in the show notes. But it can literally just be as simple as saying, Dear Jesus, everything I do today, I do for you. And saying that morning offering, it's like setting a train on the right track before starting it up. You're immediately orienting yourself and making sure that from the first moment, your whole day is for God. Next, we might include some time for mental prayer. Point 2707 says that Christians owe it to themselves to develop the desire to meditate regularly. So if we want to go deeper in our relationship with God, we need to spend some time in meditation every day. And this might just be like 10 minutes that we set aside or 15 minutes or even half an hour, putting aside some time to sit in a quiet place and just talk with our Lord. If we can, the best place to do this is in front of the tabernacle. And then, of course, we have the mass. If possible, it's a great idea to try to go to mass more than just on Sundays. Because the Eucharist is our spiritual food. And if we believe that God himself is truly present in the Eucharist, that we actually receive our Lord, body, blood, soul, and divinity when we go to Mass, then why wouldn't we go as often as possible, right? I remember hearing about this non-Catholic guy who said, gosh, if I really thought that God was present in the Eucharist, 
I would be at mass on my knees every day of the week. (laughs) So maybe we can foster a bit of that attitude as well, reminding ourselves of what an incredible gift the mass is and taking advantage of it as much as possible. And then we have spiritual reading. So remember we said in our last episode that what we seek in reading, we find in meditation. Reading is a really important source of fuel for our prayer. And there is such an incredible range of resources and wisdom available to us from like across the last 2000 years. Spending 10 or 15 minutes reading a spiritual book and a few minutes reading the gospel every day can help to add meat and depth to our prayer. So I'll include a link to some suggestions for spiritual reading in the show notes. Next, we have a visit to the Blessed Sacrament. Pope Paul VI, in his encyclical Mysterium Fide, says, The faithful should not neglect each day to make a visit to the Blessed Sacrament, since this visit is proof of gratitude, a sign of love, and a duty of adoration to our Lord Jesus Christ who is present there. So if possible, we can stop by a church and say hello to our Lord. Or if we can't get to a church, we can at least in our hearts go to the nearest tabernacle and tell our Lord that we love him at least once a day. We can also include the rosary in our plan of life. When Our Lady first appeared to the three children at Fatima, one of the first things she did was she asked them to pray the rosary every day. Now, why is that? Well, because when we pray the rosary, we contemplate key scenes from the gospel, and we do that accompanied by Our Lady. We allow Mary to take our hand and lead us through scenes from the life of her son. In 2020, Pope Francis said, The rosary is the prayer of the humble and of the saints. In its mysteries, they contemplate along with Mary the life of Jesus, the merciful face of the Father. So praying the rosary is a way of keeping the gospel continually alive in our hearts. And next we have the examination of conscience. So I don't know if you've ever heard that quote, a goal without a plan is just a wish. <laughs> well, the same thing applies to us as Christians. If we want to get to heaven, if we want to be saints, we actually have to have a plan for how we're going to get there. We have to take the time to stop and consider how we're going, think about where we can improve and what we can do better. And this is what we do in the examination of conscience. We take a few minutes at the end of every day to stop and consider how we went, what we did well, what we could have done better, and to make a bit of a plan for tomorrow. It's actually a pretty common sense thing. It's one of those things that I find easy even to explain and recommend to my non-Christian friends, just to take the time to stop and think, how am I going? I was recently reading the lyric book of Hamilton the Musical because I'm a huge nerd. And it was talking about how one of the cast members of that show, like the original cast, is a Christian. And before every show, he would lead the whole cast in prayer. And he would always say, our goal should be that at the end of every performance, Everyone here is a slightly better person than they were when we started. And I love that. And it's something we can apply to life as well, that at the end of every day, we should always aim to be a slightly better person, slightly closer to God than we were at the start of the day. Now, we might be listening to this list of things to include in the plan of life and thinking, oh my gosh, this is huge. I can't do all of this. That's fine. If you're just starting out, you don't want to bite off more than you can chew. So maybe a good idea is to take this list or look at the document that I'll include in the show notes and think about, okay, for me right now in this stage of my life, 
what is actually achievable? What can I actually do and maintain consistently? Because there's no point in trying to do everything all at once and then burning out. So we might want to pick out, you know, a few things that we can do and just try to do them every day. And then slowly we can build up that plan of life as we go. So maybe we can just decide to go to mass one more day every week or say the rosary every day or just do 10 minutes of mental prayer every day. Now, one of the things that we'll probably realize when we start to pray or deepen our prayer life is that it is kind of hard. (laughs) Usually at the start, when we're enthusiastic, it's fine. But over time, it can become difficult to maintain. Or we might go through periods where we're just not feeling it. And that is why it is super helpful that there is an entire section of the catechism called the battle of prayer, which is kind of encouraging. It's like, oh, okay, I'm not alone in this. Clearly, it is common enough that the catechism devotes significant time to it. So this section begins with point 2725. It says, prayer is both a gift of grace and a determined response on our part. It always presupposes effort. So prayer is hard for everyone, and we have to actively struggle to pray well, especially in those moments where we find it hard. So the catechism goes through some common objections or barriers to prayer, some of the reasons why we might find ourselves not wanting to pray. And this is an important one to look at because it helps us to kind of look out for those things that might get in the way of prayer that I might not even be aware of. And it might also help us to be like, okay, it's not just me. So one of the things that might act as a barrier to true prayer is treating prayer like a mental exercise. I remember once when I was like 19 and I was trying to describe what mental prayer was to an atheist friend and he listened to my description and he was like, that just sounds like thinking. It doesn't sound like prayer. And to be honest, he actually had a point. Like at that point in my life, that's probably what my prayer was more like. It was more like me thinking or like monologuing at God. I remember finding an old prayer diary from when I was like 14 and it was literally just me writing about the guy I had a crush on whom I had never spoken to and like reporting on every sighting I'd had of him. It was hilarious because it ended with me like ranting about how it was all over between us because I had seen him wearing army print cargo pants (laughs) and I thought it was just such a bad fashion choice. (laughs) Oh, anyway, it's really easy for our prayer to just become a mental exercise or a form of thinking, right? And that happens if we lose sight of that connection with God, right? The fact that the most important thing is that I'm talking to God and I'm also listening to him. I'm trying to grow closer to him, not just to like offload or think through the problems in my life. Another common objection to prayer is a lack of time. So often we hear that from people or we might think it ourselves. Like, I wish I prayed more, but I just don't have time. Now, often what's at the heart of this objection isn't so much a lack of time as not quite having our priorities right. Like if you think about it, you would never say, oh, like I wish that I could eat food, but I just don't have time to eat or to breathe or to shower. (laughs) That would be ridiculous, right? When we truly believe that something is necessary to our lives, we make time for it. And the same goes for prayer. I mean, sometimes we really are pressed for time and we have to kind of adjust things a little bit or maybe we do our prayer in a less than ideal place or we're distracted. But ultimately, we have to remember that prayer is as essential as eating and breathing and sleeping. 
Now, another barrier to prayer is distraction. This is a huge one these days, getting distracted in our prayer. Sometimes it feels like like everywhere we turn, there's a distraction, like the world is conspiring against us so that we can never actually pray. And these might be interior distractions. So maybe, you know, our mind is wandering or it might be external distractions, things like our phone or, you know, realizing that I have to put the laundry on. So what do we do? What do we do with those distractions? Point 2729 says to set about hunting down distractions would be to fall into their trap when all that is necessary is to turn back to our heart. And this is something that is so easy to fall into. Like, you know, maybe we notice that we've gotten distracted and then we get into like a distraction loop where we like catch ourselves and we go, oh my gosh, this is so bad. Why am I distracted? I always get distracted. I suck at praying. Or maybe we try to dialogue with the distraction and kind of think our way out of it on our own. And what the catechism reminds us of here is that actually the most effective way to recover from a distraction is just to turn our hearts back to God, to be simple, just to give the distraction to him and move on. You kind of think of like a little kid going for a walk with their mum, and then they get distracted by like a pretty flower and they pick the flower and then they just turn around and hand it to their mum and just keep going. <laughs> and that's a useful image because it reminds us that if we choose to hand that distraction to God with the simplicity of a child, it can actually become a gift to him. It's not necessarily a negative thing. It can become an opportunity to say, okay, God, I got distracted by something shiny, but instead of fixating on that thing, I'm just going to turn it into a gift of love to you. And then I'm going to continue along this path of prayer. Another barrier to prayer is discouragement. And we can get discouraged by many things. Like maybe we feel like we're just not very good at praying. We feel like we're not getting anywhere. Or maybe we pray for something and it doesn't happen and we feel like prayer is pointless. Or maybe we're going through a period of spiritual dryness where we just don't feel the presence of God in our prayer. And all of these things can lead us to feel discouraged. So let's unpack each of these and think about how to respond to them. So if we feel like we suck at prayer and we're not getting anywhere, the Catechism reminds us in point 2726 that we might have forgotten that we actually have to ask for grace from the Holy Spirit, right? Maybe we're relying too much on ourselves. And this is really important, realizing how little we really actually have to do to pray well or pray better. Sometimes we can get so caught up in thinking that, like, I have to do a better job of praying. I have to pull myself up by my bootstraps or, you know, make more of an effort, when in reality, I mean, those things are fine, of course, make an effort, but ultimately, really all God wants us to do is to ask for and then accept his help, right? It's like a baby who's trying to walk and they keep falling over and eventually they just like put their hands up and get their dad to pick them up. That's us, right? That should be us. And then when it comes to dryness, the catechism defines dryness in point 2731 as a situation where the heart is separated from God with no taste for thoughts, memories, and feelings, even spiritual ones. So sometimes, you know, we're trying to pray and we just sit there and we're like, well, no, <laughs> I got nothing to say. I got nothing in me. Like I don't particularly feel anything. I'm not really getting anything out of this. Like I, I feel like nothing's happening. Okay. That's spiritual dryness. 
And sometimes we're spiritually dry because we have become a bit lukewarm. You know, maybe we're experiencing something called acedia, which is a form of depression due to lax ascetical practice, decreasing vigilance, carelessness of heart. So maybe we feel disconnected from God because we've gotten a bit lax. And in those moments, we might need to have a bit of a conversion of heart. We might need to ask for God's help and then put in the means to try to kind of reignite that flame of love for God. However, at other times, dryness is just something that is outside our control. It might just be part of the natural rhythms of my prayer life, that there are times when I'm not really feeling it. And if that's the situation I'm in, if I'm putting in the means, I'm doing everything I can, but I still feel spiritually dry, then that's okay. Like, I don't need to beat myself up about it. Feeling dryness doesn't necessarily mean that I'm failing or that I'm getting further away from God. In fact, it might be an opportunity to grow even closer to him, to show him that I love him and that I'm not going anywhere, even when it's hard. So the catechism says, this is the moment of sheer faith, clinging faithfully to Jesus in his agony and in his tomb. So these might be moments of real, genuine suffering where we feel far away from God. But by clinging to him and not wandering away from our prayer in those moments, that can be an incredible act of faith, hope and love. Like imagine if you had, you know, two people sitting in a church and one of them is just completely absorbed in prayer, not because they're making any particular effort, but just because it's coming naturally to them, right? They just feel really connected to God. They're not experiencing any distractions. They're finding it very easy to pray. And then imagine the second person is sitting there struggling so hard. They're fighting distractions. They're falling down and picking themselves back up again. And they're saying over and over, okay, God, I'm finding this really hard, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to try to stay here and connect with you. Both of those people are probably giving glory to God, right? And growing closer to him. There's nothing wrong with finding it easy to pray. But we can imagine how proud God is of that person who remains in their prayer, even when it's a struggle. And what an act of love that is. Now, what about those situations where we're discouraged because we feel like our prayers haven't been answered? The Catechism in Point 2734 says, Some stop praying because they think their petition is not heard. Here, two questions should be asked. Why do we think our petition has not been heard? And how is our prayer heard? So essentially, what the catechism is asking here is, what does it mean for our prayers to be answered? Does having our prayers answered mean getting what we asked for every time? Or might it mean something else? So remember in our last episode, we talked about how our ultimate good is heaven. And that is the good that God is working for. So when we ask God for something and we don't get the thing that we asked for, it can be tempting to kind of lash out and just assume that God doesn't love us or he doesn't want the best for us. And at the root of that lashing out is really a kind of pride. It's the assumption that I know what's best for me. And that's kind of ridiculous when we think about it because we're limited, right? We cannot see the whole picture. It's like when a kid asks their parents for a PlayStation for their birthday and their parents are like, no, we don't think that's good for you. And the kid just loses their mind and they're like, you're ruining my life. I don't see what's wrong with this. Everyone else has one, right? Sometimes we can't actually see the full picture, but God can. So in those moments where we want to lash out or we feel like God's not listening and he's not answering our prayers, 
We need to ask for humility to try to acknowledge that actually God ultimately knows what's best for us, not us. Even, you know, if we're really suffering and that might be legitimate suffering, we have to trust that God is never, ever arbitrarily going to make us suffer. He only allows that suffering if he can use it for the good. So the catechism in point 2735 makes the point that often (laughs) when we praise God or give him thanks, we are not particularly concerned whether or not our prayer is acceptable to him. On the other hand, we demand to see the results of our petitions. So here the catechism is calling out a bit of a double standard here that often we take God for granted, right? We kind of like throw him the kind of crumbs of our prayer and we don't really particularly think about whether or not, you know, we're, we're, praying well or we're showing him love. But then when it comes to ourselves and the things that we want, we are completely horrified when God doesn't give us exactly what we've asked for. And if that's our attitude, it might be a sign that we're treating God like Santa Claus or like an ATM rather than like a father. C.S. Lewis has this great quote. He says, we want, in fact, not so much a father in heaven as a grandfather in heaven, a senile benevolence who, as they say, liked to see the young people enjoying themselves and whose plan for the universe was simply that it might be truly said at the end of each day, a good time was had by all. <laughs> and that isn't God, right? God doesn't just want us to have a nice time on this earth. He wants us to be saints. And that path to sanctity might not look like what we think it's going to look like. Now, the catechism finally points out that sitting under many of these obstacles to prayer is often a lack of faith. Often the reason that we get distracted, the reason that we avoid prayer or we don't make time for it or we get discouraged is that we're not really truly sure deep down in our hearts that God is there, that he is all-powerful, that he is good, that he loves us, and that he will help us if we ask him. So again, when we experience any of these obstacles to prayer, our first step has to be to ask God for more faith, more hope, and more love. And this is the last thing, right? That at the heart of it, at the heart of effective prayer is love. Point 2742 says, It has been laid down that we are to pray without ceasing. This tireless fervor can only come from love. Against our dullness and our laziness, the battle of prayer is that of humble, trusting, and persevering love. All of this, all of this praying well, praying badly, praying effectively, it all means nothing if it isn't coming from a place of love. And if we love, if we continually beg God to increase our love, then we will find that so many of those obstacles begin to melt away. Now, if you want to think more about obstacles to prayer and how to overcome them, I recommend a book called Difficulties in Mental Prayer by Eugene Boylan. I'll include it in the show notes. I'm actually currently reading that book for my spiritual reading because as someone with ADHD, I find mental prayer very difficult, (laughs) but it's great. It's really, really helpful. Okay. That's all we have time for today. Next episode, we're going to discuss that prayer that Jesus himself taught us, the Our Father. I can't wait. Have a fantastic fortnight, and I will talk to you soon. Okay, bye.